The podcast is back, bitches. I have missed you all very much. I hope you really enjoy this conversation with my friend JD. He do the drum real good, and he is real cute as well. Enough of the chit chat, let's get right into it, mofos. Welcome to an episode with no edits. <laughs> Today's episode of Catching Up With is an edit-free episode. And today, I'm joined by my good friend J.D. Lenick, who oh. is a Minneapolis drummer and programmer, beat maker, mm. Ableton whiz extraordinaire. Mm. Wow. You write my bio? Yeah. I need one. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to edit that. <laughs> no, there's no edits. Because when you're listening to this, there won't be any awkward pauses. There won't be any ums or ahs. No. That is just because we're professionals. Um. <laughs> and we didn't need to edit any of it. So, JD. Hello. You and I have worked together plenty um, playing at EBC, Eagle Brook Church. Yep. Minnesota. But I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with some of the other stuff that you you do in the time between. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of stuff on Instagram, like today, uh, where you were making some beats, doing some like programming of like organic drums. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of stuff do you like to fill up your other time with? Well, uh, something new that I'm trying to learn is recording. I've never really gotten into that. Uh, I've put a lot of my effort into live playing, so playing drums, using a drum pad, Ableton, all the things that go into like a live performance. But I really, I've programmed a lot of tracks, like backing tracks and stuff, and I really like making sounds. And so I'm trying to get into making original content for people, for artists or bands. And I don't want to do everything in the box. Yeah. So sometimes you know, you need like an organic sound, like a shaker or tambourine or a hundred other different things. Um, and they make, you know, you can get loops and stuff now that are super high quality, but sometimes it takes 10 minutes to find the right loop. And I'm sitting there going, if I just had a microphone, I've got this shaker right here. I could just do it in five seconds. Right. And I like having the human element mixed with the electronic stuff if that's what's happening in the music totally um but then i was also encouraged by a couple different people to actually try recording drums which i've always been terrified of i've never wanted to get like 10 microphones and do all that yeah um it's pretty daunting yeah i I have way more fun working with an engineer that knows about that stuff. Yeah. And then the two of us going, here's the sound we're going to try to get. And I'm in charge of maybe picking the drums or tuning them or picking the cymbals or whatever, or playing a certain way and then letting the engineer do the other side. So I'm still, I'm still not convinced to go like full drum studio yeah. Right now, I'm just trying to learn the basics with two mics. Yeah. Um, and Is that all you did with the most recent video was two mm-hmm. mics? Yeah. Okay. So I did, I, I just have a two channel 
interface and I did a kick mic and then I did a large diaphragm condenser. This is so nerdy. Uh, in the, what we call the <laughs> knee mic position, the, the knee mic. fat mic. So you sit it above the kick kind of pointed at the snare. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just trying to learn getting a microphone in place. Where do I put it? How does that affect what it sounds like? How do I get that into my computer? Preamps, gain staging, all of those things. Yeah. Still don't know how to do it, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure it out. It's but, a lot of trial and error. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, anything with mics is like terrifying for me because mm. I'm so used to, as a, as a guitarist, doing so much stuff. I mean, especially now, there's just so much emulation software. Right. To where it's like, do you really have to, you know, be miking things? It's like, no, you don't. Most of the time, <laughs> you're being very delicate with how you sip. Sorry, I don't want to impede the recording with my. <laughs> it's water. very kind of you. Continue. Um, well, I'm gonna sip however loud I want. That's fine because this yeah. is some it's good your coffee. Po- it's your podcast, so <laughs> you can do that. It's some quality coffee, made by JD himself. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying though. You're you, a lot of what you're doing, or at least the things that you and I do together. What I see you doing is you're just plugging straight in. There's no amp, there's no yeah. mic, uh, and a lot of recording guitar, bass, um, keys. You can just plug straight in. Mm-hmm. For drums, it's either it's in the box and you're programming real drum sounds, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Which what is even a real drum sound? Nobody knows anymore. anymore. Um, but like what I'm trying to do is I want to be able to play the drum set mm-hmm. or play percussion, yeah, you know, or whatever, just make like all of those kind of filler elements, I guess yeah. you would say. And um, I like, yeah. I like what you're saying too, with like recording, even just wanting to record a couple of elements if, if primarily what's coming out or primarily what you're sending out as stems is going to be like programmed. Yeah. It's still nice to get, like you're saying, a human element. If, Mm -hmm. even if you're just recording like a ride or a shaker or a tambourine, that just adds so much. And I feel like a lot of recordings that I like, uh, are programmed drums, but with human elements Mm -hmm. or like recordings of something happening outside or something, you know, just random random percussive things hearing hearing actual recorded sounds is just it just adds yeah jake does that quite a bit um jake larson but yeah he actually was probably one of the first people that i got to see actually like do that stuff in a project where he was showing Mm -hmm. me like sounds of just like I, i think he just recorded sounds of like somebody hitting something with a hammer yeah and he just like it's muffled and it's in another room yeah and it just adds to the atmosphere Kind of keeping an eye on Marlo. Yeah. Don't interrupt. Marlo's JD's dog. She's a um, sweetie. My studio assistant. Yeah, totally. I actually kind of, I, I don't want to say I stole that idea, but I listened to, we were just talking earlier about Aaron Sterling, and he was talking yeah. in an interview about songs that he works on <laughs> where the nature of the song is it has to be very on the grid. The kick is sampled, the snare is sampled. It's all very like gridded out. Mm-hmm. But then for him, the cool thing is to add the human element 
by doing some kind of percussion, a shaker, or, you know, he's the master of just finding random things. Sorry, my dog just sneezed. <laughs> that was a sneeze. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what was that? Uh, you know, like, I'll see him hold a seed packet, like a vegetable seed, and he'll tap on it into the mic, you know, and pan that right, and he'll do another pass and do this. And, uh, and so that's how he's getting, like, the human side into it. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to learn, how to record some stuff. Um, also, just so I can lay down drum set ideas for, like, a demo. Yeah. So if someone's like, hey, I want to know what you would do on this, or maybe I'm doing some drum programming, but there's no real drums yet, and those are kind of connected. Mm-hmm. So maybe I, I say, here's what I would do for the drum set part. Maybe they're going to hire me to record that later in a studio. Maybe yeah. I'm not going to play drums on it, but it was just like a, a direction. And, it, you know, yeah. sometimes I need, like, what's the drums going to do? And then the program goes around that. But, totally. Yeah. <laughs> She wants in on the action. Yeah, she does. We're not interested in what you have to say. Go lay down. <laughs> you were doing really well. We were, we were in a nice rhythm there, and then... Marlo. <laughs> you interrupted. Stops for a second. Okay, go lay down. Sorry. It's so, un- so unprofessional. This is going to be real interesting for a no-edit episode. Yeah. <laughs> Zero edits. Once again, zero edits. You will not get this in any other podcast. Mm. Yeah, I like... I think it was in an episode of the I'd Hit That podcast Mm -hmm. with Aaron Sterling when he was talking about, uh, you know, he's like, well, sometimes the first thing I do is I start programming and people are like, you you start with programming? Yeah. Especially with him, I feel like he's really known as like organic sounds. Sure. Um, very like singer songwritery sort of stuff. But he's like, I'm not going to play something that doesn't belong in the song, mm-hmm. you know? And so I like that approach of, of listening first, even, even when you're in the mode of recording or creating, the first thing is listen. And then everything is informed by what you're listening to. Yeah. Um, it's, so, it's so easy. Even if, what you're playing is tasteful. It's easy to play stuff that satisfies your, your own musical ambitions. Right. right. Yeah. And it's interesting to bring that up because I have been really working hard at paying attention to what the vocal is doing and letting that inform what I do. Um, mainly in a live context, cause that's mainly what I do, but it's been interesting because some of the projects that people will send me, to try stuff out on they haven't recorded the vocal yet and so it's you know sometimes it's like well I don't you know I'll do some stuff and then I'll kind of send them a a rough idea and be like I don't I don't know what the vocal's doing here so this might not work or you know a lot of times the the synth program or the guitars or whatever they recorded keys because they know what the vocals are going to do and they just haven't laid them down yet that is enough where I can send it to them and they go, oh, that's great. Like, that's exactly what I was thinking and it's going to work. Yeah. But then other times, you know, it's like, I'm not going to do anything else until I know what the vocal is doing. Exactly. Um, because 
it's kind of pointless. If it's just an instrumental, then you can do whatever you want. Right. And it doesn't matter. But yeah, so that's interesting depending on if the demo has vocals or not, what I'm going to do right. or not do or wait to do. Yeah. 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 It changes. It changes so much. Like, and that's something I've realized too. I didn't really think about that until, cause I mean, all of my music is instrumental. All of the music that I've done so far is instrumental. Sure. But I've recently been producing stuff for my wife, Jess mm-hmm. and, um, and, and like, obviously all that stuff has vocals, but the tracks that I'm working with, uh, don't have like the lead vocals in yet. Sometimes they'll have like the, the BGVs and stuff like that. But, um, it definitely like I'll program something and I'm like, this is perfect. Right. And then I'll, I'll drop in a scratch vocal for it. And I'm like, this doesn't work. Like so much needs to be changed now. Um, just because you're, you're subconsciously trying to fill up more space when there's no lead vocal Mm -hmm. or when there's no lead, you know, melodic line. It's, it's so tough to, to really know what space to occupy. Yeah. I ran into that all the time when I was just starting out, like making tracks. Like I would, I would, uh, this is like before the days of multitracks.com and loop community and all these places where you can just buy the backing tracks. But so I was playing at a church and I would, I would listen to songs and create all of the programming that wasn't drums, guitar, bass, piano. And as a brand new person and a young musician, like I would just make these tracks that were so heavy and full and like occupied all of the space there was to occupy because all I was doing was hearing what I was making. Yeah. And so I'd be like, oh, this feels like it's missing something. I don't need it. And I was never thinking like, oh, well, there's going to be drums and bass and guitar and vocals <laughs> and piano on stage because this isn't an original project. It's a cover, basically. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'd come in with these tracks and they would just be like, there's so much going on. It's just too much. And so I had to really change the way I thought and think about like, okay, who's going to be on, what instruments are going to be on stage? were the vocals doing, um, you know, what space is already taken up and I just can't hear it yet. Yeah. Versus, okay, that space is available. Do I fill it or do I just leave it be? Yeah, totally. Pretty unrelated. Sure. But, uh, you're from Maryland. Yeah. What brought you to Minneapolis Mm -hmm. in particular? That's a great question. Uh, was Minnesota your first move out of state? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So the story goes, I grew up in Maryland. I went to college. The in Sunshine State. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went to college, graduated. I spent the summer after college, actually, ironically, in the Sunshine State of Florida. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I have a friend, Jeff, um, who we had met through music, and he lived down there. He managed a recording studio with our mutual friend, Michael Rustin. Oh, that's how you guys met. Yep. And so we met. And so I did a bunch of stuff down there over the summer um, and, and and kind of all over, just doing different gigs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so then I got back home around August. I started working at this restaurant, which I had done basically my whole life. 
And I was like, no, this sucks. Like, what am I going to do? I don't, I, I was at that point, it had been long enough where I was like, I want to do music. Like I want to try that seriously. Yeah. And there just wasn't really much opportunity where I was for the stuff I wanted to do. And I also knew that I didn't really care to live in Maryland all of my life. So I kind of knew that I wanted to get out of there anyways. Yeah. Um, so then I said, well, I should go somewhere where there's music opportunity if that's what I want to do. Basically, I was just at a place where I was like, I have been playing with the same people for 10 years, doing the same stuff, and I just want to be stretched. I want to get out of my comfort zone, like cut my teeth, so to speak. Um, and so I looked at a couple, you know, I did a Google search, top 10 music cities, whatever. And it's like yeah. Nashville and LA and Minneapolis came up. And then I said, who can I talk to in these places? And so I had been following a guy named Steve Gould, who's a drummer originally from Minneapolis. And he was one of, one of if not the only person that ever responded back that wow. I had reached out to um, yeah. in different, different cities. And so we emailed back and forth a little bit. And I just said, here's kind of where I'm at, what I want to do. And he's like, I think this would be a great place. So I went out. I came out rather visited for a couple of days I was like yep this is awesome and so then I had, I had started this process in August and I said by May of the following year I want to live in a new city so I went out and visited in January ironically very cold <laughs> that um, is the perfect time yeah and yeah I after I visited I decided I wanted to live here and all it was was finding a place to live. Yeah. So I did that. So I moved in. Was that difficult? Surprisingly, no. Craigslist, man. Yeah. Yeah. I looked on Craigslist. There was a guy who had a house in South Minneapolis, had a room available. I messaged him. I said, hey, I know this is like kind of weird. I'm moving from out of state. I was honest, like I'm moving to pursue music, but I have this restaurant gig. I was working at a chain that mm -hmm. existed in Minnesota. So I, I had already set up everything to transfer my job. I was like, I'm going to be working here. I already have a job in place, blah, blah, blah. And he was super cool. And he's like, all right. So yeah, we moved. I moved to the beginning of March. I never did go work at that restaurant. <laughs> um, I just never showed up. Yeah. I, yeah. I, all I had to do was walk in the door and say, Hey, I'm, I'm the guy that just moved. Um, but I very quickly got plugged in at Eagle Brook and met a couple other people and was like subbing for them. Was Steve Gould had like, was he still like at Eagle Brook at the time? No, he was never really, I mean, he played at Eagle Brook years ago, like as a oh. younger dude. He was never, um, he hadn't played there for a long time gotcha. once I came on the scene. He would play like at his dad's church, but he wasn't really doing much church stuff. Yeah, that I was aware of. Just I think he was. I think at the time that I moved, he was still doing like the Cerebrellis thing. Gotcha. Um, but he was in town, and it wasn't until a few months later that he moved to Arizona. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I moved, and it was awesome, and I love Minneapolis, and uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, four and a half years later. Yeah, that's amazing. Crazy. It's a lot of stuff to happen in four years. Yeah, it's been interesting. Just I've kind of been looking back recently 
and just thinking about like if I move somewhere else or if I'll ever move again. Yeah. Um, and I really feel like I got like an education here, a musical education, because I didn't go to school for music or anything like that. I've taken a lot of lessons, but um, yeah, I just, I didn't listen to any music before I moved here, <laughs> which is so weird. I mean, yeah. I grew up listening to Christian rock and that right. kind of stuff. Um, I, the, I relate. Yeah, the occasional non-Christian thing here or there. Like, I remember middle school, my dad and I were super into the Maroon 5 yeah. uh, freshman album. Uh, the only good one. <laughs> can I say that? And <laughs> You can. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't know anything. I just was so, like, engulfed, is that the word, in, like, the church yeah. music scene. Um, saying um a lot. You're gonna have to edit those out. No edits. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't yeah. hear any ums. Yeah, I moved here and and just was like, just through different people, different influences. Listen to this. Listen to that. Yeah, I worked at Risen Drums for a time, so every day Grady was playing stuff. That's and right. Just being like, check this out. Check this out. Yeah, I forgot that you you worked at Risen Drums yep. and then you worked at All Claire Audio. Yep. Which. For a bit of context, Risen Drums, are they huge, like, nationally? I would say so. Because they're, I mean, yeah. they're definitely huge here. Yeah. They're, I would say they're huge in, like, the Christian music scene. Yeah. And what I mean by that is um, there are a lot of churches that have them build their house kits. Yep. So, like, if you're not familiar with Church World... You know, you're not usually bringing your own drum set. There's a house kit that just lives at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays, with churches it being very popular to have multi-site churches, multiple campuses, you know, you they could provide drums for six rooms. Yeah, and it's just one church. Exactly. So yeah. Six drum kits, and so they do a ton of that. Um, I would say now more than ever, I see them kind of branching out and. And being a little bit more widespread, yeah, as far as genre goes, but um, yeah. And then All Claire Audio, yep. Who I mean, the best. They're the best in the world, <laughs> in the universe. Um, I mean, they've got some big artists. Yeah. The only <laughs> for some reason I was like, I gotta list some artists that are <laughs> like with with All Claire, and then the only one I could think of was. <laughs> I think it was Enrique or somebody who worked there. Did Enrique used to work there? I don't know. Somebody who was working there was like, yeah, we just made some ears for Smash Mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah. I remember that. Their drummer. I remember his name coming through. Yeah. Yeah, it's really funny. It's amazing. Smash Mouth. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure their shows are still big. Yeah. Are they still... They still play? I guess. I, guess. I feel like they're, they have an active presence on Twitter. Yeah. I feel like I see them getting into some political the beefs <laughs> the interesting thing so i i feel like part of their popularity still is thanks to meme culture and mm. the fact that all-star is a meme sure now and the fact that like all-star sh- was a meme before memes were right. memes exactly like just like his voice and like the fact that they did covers of like really classic songs, but just they all sounded like like Smash Mouth. Yeah, um, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I okay. mean, I'm glad that this came up. I love Smash Mouth. Yeah, and I grew up 
listening. Okay, here's an album that wasn't a Christian album that I remember as a younger person. That's a really weird thing to say. Um, Astro Lounge. Yeah. I don't know which number album. First? Second? I don't know, but that is the one that had All Star, right? Astro Lounge had All Star, and I love that album. My dad and I would listen to that all the time, and I've gone back as an adult. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still relatively young, but like... With some fresh ears. Yeah, with some fresh ears, knowing a lot more about music than I did then, and I still really like it. Every song is a different genre. Yeah. Like, there's cool spaceship sounds, there's like Latin percussion, there's like just... we. It's cool. And, and they probably did a lot of drugs to make it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think it's awesome. Then there's just it's creative, it's weird. I so I Smash Mouth. I am uh, I'm a few years younger than you. So my first taste of Smash Mouth was via Shrek. Right. Because, of course. Because that was just the big thing. And then yep. they they also did um uh I'm a believer. Yep. Which was a cover. Yep. And I just, like, I think that the Shrek soundtrack was the first CD that I, that I owned. That is an incredible <laughs> piece of trivia about you that I, I didn't I'm, know. I'm pretty sure because I vividly remember, like, getting, like, getting off of school and my mom picked me and my brother up and she was like, I got you <laughs> the That's soundtrack. Amazing. And then we played yeah. we played it until it like stopped working but i loved smash mouth and it was always in the context of shrek and That's, i feel like most most people like who are born in like the late 90s mm-hmm. uh it's it's always in the context of shrek mm-hmm. um yeah that makes sense yeah um and i played that i, pl- I actually play that song whenever i sub in for husa because they do that <laughs> they just cover that song mm-hmm. and it's it's a blast yeah. to play that song. Yeah. It's just really fun. Um, but yeah, back to like the whole like meme culture thing. Sure. Uh, I, th- I think it's really interesting that, cause I think in a lot of ways they could, it could be looked at, uh, in a negative way that they're like not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. They're kind of a joke mm-hmm. to a lot of people and all this stuff. But, we all still know who Smash Mouth is. Right. And think of how many other niche bands, because they're pretty niche. Yeah. Think, think of how many other niche bands from the era we don't remember, you know, but we remember them. Mm. And I think, I, I personally think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are a meme. They're sort of a caricature. Right. Um, there's something There's something interesting about like the age we're in right now where embracing that sort of not taking yourself seriously mm-hmm. angle yeah. really helps you. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, it also just makes me think of like Wendy's, their Twitter account. Okay. I don't know if you've ever yes. seen their Twitter account. Totally. But it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's such a joke. Yeah. And they're always just memeing and goofing on themselves. But I think that that is definitely kept them, uh, up to speed with mm-hmm. other businesses, you know, who aren't active because it's like the future. When I say the future, like the attention of young people, people our age and younger 
is on Twitter yeah. and Instagram mm-hmm. and, and all and TikTok especially. Like that's like new Kesha tune, right? TikTok. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know what TikTok is. TikTok is a social media platform. Yeah. Um, so TikTok is what Musically used to be. Okay. Do you yes. remember Musically? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if TikTok was like a brand new thing and they rebranded, or if I just like hit my glasses <laughs> on that. I don't know if TikTok was a new thing, but they some company acquired okay. Musically. Got it. And then the new thing became TikTok. So. Uh, but that whole demographic is like ages eight to mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. So, or eight to 15 probably. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything that you're, anytime you're in front of eyes, right? I mean, that's why billboards exist. You're yeah. driving down the highway, you see a billboard from McDonald's. You're like, I don't want McDonald's. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, you know, it sounds really good. We should go get a burger at McDonald's. Yeah. Like it sounds dumb, but that stuff works. That's why it still exists to yeah. this day. And so just being in front of people yeah. is, is a win. Yeah. And I think people are like, and I'm this way, I mean, depending on what it is, but if I like take the Wendy's Twitter, for example, yeah. I, if I think that's really funny, then I would, I, there's something in me that goes, I want to give them my business. Exactly. I don't eat like fast food. Yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. So I'm not, I don't want people to think I'm going to Wendy's every day. I don't know why I have, I feel like I had to say that, but I just had to put that out there. (laughs) I do not eat fast food. Uh, no, but you know what I mean? Like that, that makes me, if I was eating fast food and it was like, all right, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, I'm going to go to Wendy's because like that Twitter is really funny. Yeah. I don't know why. Who cares if it's better food? Yeah. It's all the same. Anyways. It's all the same. (laughs) It's a great tangent that we've traveled down. I, I noticed that sort of stuff. It just like stands out to me, like the fact that they they might not have a superior product, they might not have superior service, mm-hmm. but they made a point to interact with the right demographic in the right way that makes them stand out. Yeah. And I think that's pretty, I think that there, you could draw a lot of parallels between that and what we even do. Okay. Where this is, I was going to do this. I was going to brag because I was going to be like, watch me turn this around. <laughs> But I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Because I had this conversation in the green room the other day about people posting on Instagram. Let's use Instagram because that's like the, the big one, right? Yep. Do I post videos of myself playing? That is such a loaded question. I feel like for maybe it's just because I'm in that world. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I feel like it's with drums in particular, it is a huge thing because... You've got the guys that are trying to show off. They're trying to show their chops. Mm-hmm. They're sponsoring their posts, and it's like them playing in their basement, and it doesn't really sound that great, mm-hmm. but they've paid so that I now see that. Exactly. And it's like this whole culture. And then now you've also got all these pro drummers that are like the guys that are willing to kind of be a dick about it. They're like, this is stupid. Exactly. Like, and... So we were having this this conversation about that and someone brought up the point of like, if you posted something of you playing and let's say it's just you playing a simple groove or just something that you like, that's not like you're trying to show off or whatever. Yeah. If people see that and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I need a drummer. You're now 
in their mind because they just saw this thing. You're automatically on their radar. And yeah, and someone equated it to like going to shows, right? And like, you know, like the whole networking thing mm-hmm. where it's like you go to a show and you just go up to a guy afterwards and say, hey man, I really enjoy that. My name's JD, I, I play drums or whatever. And like, that's all it is. Yeah. But then how many stories have you heard of like the next day or the next week, that guy's getting a call because they're like, oh, we need someone in a pinch. Oh, I just met this dude. Right. Bring him in. Only now you don't have to pay to go to a show. You don't have to drive to the show. Sure. You don't have to take the time out right. of your day. I mean, obviously you're recording, but it's like, yeah. but now it's- It's way easier it's to put yourself out there. It's as easy as like literally, because I mean, the video doesn't have to be crazy. No. Nope. It doesn't have to be extravagant It or can only be a minute long anyways, or 15 seconds. A lot of people, they just use the iPhone microphone. Yeah. And, you know, they'll, they'll just compress the audio and it's like whatever, or like a GoPro because GoPro is actually, I think GoPro audio, like the raw audio that comes Mm -hmm. in sounds really nice. It does. I, weirdly enough, I do like that, except mine always does this weird thing where at some random point, the quality of the sound will change as if like some kind of filter or compressor is kicking in. I actually get that a lot with my iPhone mm. at like concerts. And I think I th- there's like, um, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's basically for like wind noise. If uh, your iPhone yeah, detects yeah. wind noise, right. it'll like, it'll like dip way yeah. down in, in volume or it'll like put some weird gate filter on it. Um, and I think it does that yeah. in like yeah. band scenarios. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting cause I've struggled with that a lot because I go through these seasons where I will post like a ton of stuff on Instagram. And then recently, probably I would say for the past month, I like have posted nothing basically. Yeah. And I just, I get so, I get so inside my head about everything, but (laughs) about this in particular, because what happened was I had people in my life, you know, my wife and other people close to me saying, you got to put yourself out there. You got to post stuff on Instagram or do this or whatever. And I'm like, nah, like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, that's my whole thing. It's like, I don't want to be one of those guys. You know what I mean? Because you hear all these people that are, like, making fun of those guys or, like, hating on them. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so then I started posting stuff. And then I just get so in my head about it. And it's like, well, how do I post stuff? Do I just throw this clip up there? Do I put a filter on it? Do I try to record it with a mic so it actually sounds nice? Do I do some fancy thing on my Instagram story. Right. Should it be uncut or should it be edited? Yeah. Should there be a fade or should it just stop? Like, yeah. Do I I need a logo? Does my feed (laughs) need to look cool? Yeah. If you look at the whole grid. Yeah. Or do I just care about the individual? I feel like that's especially easy because your, your wife has a really clean feed. Oh yeah. It's gorgeous. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. There's, there's always a million factors that play in. I feel like I feel like one of the biggest things that all of those questions boil down to is, do I do it like so-and-so? Right. Is like, I've seen this. Do I do it like this person or do I do it like this person? And it's good to take away some of those things for inspiration, but it's also, it's also just such a hassle sometimes because those same things that you can use for inspiration end up stopping you because you're like, I don't think it's going to be as good as this same thing. When even if you try to be exactly like Aaron Sterling, for example, it's still not going to be, you're you're not going to 
sound like him, even if you try to totally because you have your own feel, you're not going to, you know, your, your gestures and some of your mannerisms. It's like, even if you tried to do exactly what somebody else was doing, it's still going to be you. And so, yeah, it's, it's just so tough. Yeah. If you try to be someone else, like you're just going to be a worst version of them. Exactly. Nobody wants, it's really funny because I actually just talked to someone about this because I remember moving to Minneapolis and seeing a couple drummers and I would see them play live for the first time and I would go, you look like Steve Gould. You look like a worse version of Steve Gould. Yeah. Whether it was like their physical appearance while they played or the things that they did. His mannerisms are very Yeah, his mannerisms are very unique to him. Mm Mm-hmm. And, so as and soon as just, you see somebody else, doing yeah, it. yeah, and just the way he plays, I think he has he has a thing, um, and yeah, I just remember seeing that and being like, I don't, I don't want to be a worse version of someone else. Yeah, and I think it's okay to pull things from different people, but at the end of the day, I want it to be me. Yeah. Um, and I, I know one of those guys in particular who was aware of that, and he worked really hard to break out of that. And now I think about that guy, and I think that he is his own thing. Yeah. Now I think other people look like a worse version of him. Yeah. Because now he's kind of like one of the guys here. You know what I mean? That's super cool. And, yeah. It I, takes a lot of self-awareness, too. Yeah. Because I think we, we naturally... I mean, so much of music is an imitation game. You have your inspirations and you're pulling things from them. And it's so easy when you have like, when you have a real strong inspiration or a uh, like a very strong pull towards an influence to just end up doing the same things as them, even if you're not trying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think that's huge. It's not talked about a lot. um, The fact that, um, you know, cause there's like, there's a guitarist that both of us know who a lot of people end up making similar sounds to. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as good. And, and it's, it's interesting because, uh, Stephen Helvig and I talked about a similar concept when it comes to movies yesterday. Hmm. We were talking about like all the remakes that are happening now. And yeah. it's like my, my whole beef with remakes of great movies is that you could, it, you, there's a lot of risk involved because there's a good chance it'll be a worse version of a great thing. Yeah. When instead, if you do something original, either with the same idea or with a different idea, it'll be, there'll be nothing to compare it to. Right. And I think that totally translates to us as artists, artists in general, but definitely us as musicians. Like if you can take certain qualities from somebody, but to just like have the balls to do your own thing. Right. And just sort of not really take criticism seriously uh, or not to take like hate or flack for just not take it personally. Yeah. And not take that stuff personally and to, to just be like teachable and all that sort of stuff, but to just have the freedom to do you uh, it it just sets you apart because then there's no like bar to meet. Mm -hmm. There's no like, is this as good as so-and-so? Nope, it's not. <laughs> you know, right. even if even if you could do somebody else's thing better than them, I just feel like you get so much further by doing your own thing. Right. And that's so much more interesting creatively. Yeah. 
Which brings you brings it around to where I've landed, which is just like, I just don't really care. Like I'm I'm trying to be in a mindset of like I'm doing this because I want to share, because I'm excited about what I'm doing. Like I'm excited about music and making it and listening to it. Like one thing I've been doing is sharing albums that I really like on my Instagram stories every once in a while. I'll post like four or five albums. Yeah. And I and then, you know, I, I highlight those. And really it's it's honestly just more of a resource for me because then I can go back and when people ask me like, what have you been listening to? I never know how to answer that question. I just yeah. can't recall for some reason. Right. But I like to go back and go, oh, like three months ago, I was really into that enough that I posted it. Yeah. But that's actually really smart. Yeah. Be cool to do like a highlight. Yeah, you should do that. Of that. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah it's on my Instagram. Just like next to Marlo and Brit and drums. That's really smart. Albums. I love that. Because I'm an album guy. This is a tangent. I like... Yes. We should talk about that. Okay. We'll get to that in a second. I'm not finished about Instagram yet. <laughs> I'm commandeering the podcast. <laughs> no, I just... Yeah. I have to be really careful about my mindset when it comes to Instagram. Like, if I'm just posting it to get likes... That's gross. That yeah. grosses me out that I even and have it's to think about that. I saw somewhere the other day their their Instagram is is trying a new thing in a bunch of other countries where they're removing you you can see how many people like your photo, I think, but other people won't be able to see it or something like that. I did see like that. they're removing some of those elements in a certain way because they realize people are the negative impact that it's and it was so interesting because the first thing i saw about that it showed instagram's announcement that they were trying out this new feature in these Mm -hmm. countries and then next to it was some model from like australia or something like crying she took a video of herself talking to her followers Mm -hmm. and was like incredibly distraught to the point of tears that this feature was being removed and to her credit, she was aware that it was a problem because she basically was like, I think I'm going to take some time off yeah. from social media. But it's like that kind of stuff exists. Like yeah. people are moved to tears at the thought that people aren't going to see how many people like my photo. That's, it's, it's crazy. It's insane. There's like a dopamine yeah. rush when you see that something gets 50 more likes than your last post totally and when you look at a new post and you're like this is going to be fire and it gets 50 so likes stupid. instead of 80 likes yeah. it's depressing yeah it's so dumb it's so dumb and i and i hate that that there's any part of me conscious or not that allows something as silly as that application on my phone to determine if it's good or not right so I've just, that's part of why I, I won't post for a long period of time because it's like, if that's what I'm thinking about, then I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to post. You this can kind of stupid. sense like, oh, I'm thinking too much about yeah, like, how this is All I'm doing is checking to see how many people saw it and how many people liked it. And, oh, how many, did anyone leave a comment? And, yeah. Uh, oh, so stupid. <laughs> like, no. It's, yeah, it's tough because like part of it is, is like the analytics. I think at the end of the day, the analytics are there so that way you can inform your next decision as far as like how do i how do i have a greater influence yeah you know that is very healthy in very small doses right because 
like, I mean, the whole, like you're saying, the whole reason for this new change that's coming around is because people are posting solely to the algorithm. They're not posting for their followers right. as much as they are for the algorithm. Yeah. And a great point. What's gonna what's gonna get more likes? It's a, it's about the numbers and not the people who are giving those numbers. Yes, yeah. or even just the content itself. Yeah, like when it comes to any kind of art that you're putting out there, like yeah, yeah. So I mean, and I don't mean to say that I think it's all bad. I mean, there's a reason I still have the accounts. Um, I think there's so much good that comes from it. Like the thing that I always go back to is we in the context of music, I think this probably applies to anything. We have access to all of our heroes and, and because we're in this cool time of like, maybe there's a whole other uh, road we could go down, but yeah, because there's no money in music right now. Yeah. It's basically filtered out all of like the assholes. Yeah. And so all of our heroes, like, for drums it's like Aaron Sterling and Dan Bailey and they're all like humble dudes that yeah. really care about the music totally. and so and they care about helping other people yeah and so these guys are literally a click away from asking and both of those dudes I've asked questions and they respond within 10 minutes if not faster yeah like I was trying to tune a drum and I was having problems with it and I messaged Dan Bailey on Instagram and I was like hey this is like this weird thing I'm having do you have any tips and literally in 30 seconds he was like well you should try this and you should do that and blah 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 blah. I was like what is happening like there's no <laughs> other time in the universe that that was you know it's like never no one's gonna respond or you have to send them a letter or email or whatever. And, and hope that yeah. by some miracle they see it. Yeah. So I, all that to say, I think there's some really cool parts of it, and that's why I've stuck with it. Yeah. And I, th- I and I think it is important. I mean, I know there are people that don't use it, and they're so successful. But a lot of the people that I've talked to, you know, they've they've... I've either gotten hired to do things because of what I've put on Instagram or I have talked to guys that have said like, oh yeah, I've seen, I've seen your stuff on Instagram. Like I would totally recommend you for this or like you, you could do X, Y, Z or whatever. So I do think it's, I don't know, important. Yeah. Well, it also, it comes to like, if you see it as a tool instead of your identity. Yeah. Instead of seeing as like, if you just see it as a tool in your kit, then it comes, it becomes a question of like, are you going to use all the tools available to you? And why wouldn't you? Um, because I mean, goose was saying the same sort of stuff where I think a lot of people just don't like auditioning for stuff. Yeah. He said that like, he's gotten a lot of opportunities where he didn't have to audition because in a sense he already has Mm -hmm. by having, you know, several hundred YouTube videos. Yeah. That's how I got hired at Eagle Brook to begin with. Yeah. I literally had just moved to town. I lived in Minneapolis for a couple weeks. And Eagle Brook needed a drummer for their Easter services that were coming up. And they asked uh, two guys at Risen, Keith and Grady, who were both playing at Eagle Brook, um, if they could do it. And both of them couldn't do it because they had other churches that were kind of like their home church. Anyways. Yeah. And one of them, I can't remember who said there's a new drummer that just moved to town 
you should hit him up. And someone went onto my website that I had at the time, and there were videos of me playing live to, it was like a student conference or something, but it, the audio was my inner mix. Yeah. And I remember someone telling me afterwards, like, those videos told us everything we needed to know or that we would look for in an audition in 30 seconds. Because it's like, you're playing on a stage with other musicians, you're playing to a live crowd, not just in your bedroom, you're playing to a click and cues and tracks so you can stay on the arrangement. It was like all these things that you have to be able to do. Exactly. And... In a I, quick in a quick little clip. Yeah, yeah. And literally, the whole thing went... I got an email one day, randomly, through my website, and it was like, hey, we need a drummer, here are the times, here is the pay, yes or no? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And then after I accepted the gig, did someone contact me and say, hey, let's sit down for coffee and just like get to know each other? Yeah. And that, And that's where... After that, I eventually got rid of my website because I was like, who am I? I don't need a website. Yeah. I don't, I'm not like this pro guy. You know, I just get super in my head about that stuff. And then I remember thinking about restarting one and being like, Eagle Brook has been one of the best gigs I've ever had for many reasons. Yeah. And I got that be- because I had a website that had just my, what I do on it. Yeah. So then it- I... Yeah. It's amazing. It, I, in my conversation with Goose, he he mentioned like, this is from him, so I don't know where exactly this comes mm-hmm. from, but I, I he's trustworthy in a lot of these like social media sort of aspects. Mm-hmm. But he said like five seconds is still the average attention span. Like people <laughs> yeah. on Instagram, like yeah. people watch the first if you have a a minute, like a sixty second clip. Yeah. And I'm starting to lean away from 60 second videos. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, I should fill up the time. But I've seen a lot of guys posting 30 second clips or 15 second clips mm-hmm. now because it's like nobody's getting to the end yeah. of 60 seconds. Um, but most people are, if if it, they're not hooked in that, five, that first five seconds, yeah. then it's over. And so I think if it comes down to uh, if somebody on the other end of Instagram is looking for somebody who does what you do. Can you in that first five seconds show them that you're capable? See, that's where I kind of disagree because, (laughs) because I've thought about all that. And I, to me, that's where I draw the line of like, I'm not (laughs) going to give in to that. Yeah. And I'm not saying you're wrong. And I'm not saying that anyone that has that mindset is bad or wrong or anything for me personally, like my own health. Yeah. Your own if convictions. If I play that game, it's that's where I'm like, well, then I don't even want to post. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I even thought about that today. If I'm yeah. being totally honest, I I had this thing that I had that I really liked, and it was a minute and a half. And I went, well, I'm gonna have to chop it in half and make it two clips because Instagram only lets you do a minute. And I'm like, are people gonna view the second clip, or should I just post that cool fill that I threw in there? I watched the second clip. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just post the cool fill? But I'm like, no, the fill is cool because of the content. And that's where it's like, this is music. Like, this is yeah. art. And I'm, like, creating it. And yeah. I, I, it's intentional. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, I'm posting this because I made something that I want to share. And yeah. I'm going to share it in the format that I want it to be viewed. And if you don't have the attention span to view the whole thing, that's fine. Then, but yeah. that's not why I'm but here. But that's not who you're catering to. Right. I'm here for the person that goes... 
I care about JD or I care about the things that he makes and I'm interested. Yeah. So I'm going to watch this yeah. and that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and at some level, it's kind of just a matter of letting go for me personally. Exactly. Again, I'm not saying that this applies to everyone, but for me personally, it's like if someone really wants what I do and they want to hire me, then they'll they'll be it's enough they'll be down yeah. to watch i don't need yeah. everything i post to be like does this grab you in five seconds yeah i just but again to I, to play devil's advocate sure. a, a little bit please just for fun yeah you're there's still a little aspect even if what you're doing uh this doesn't necessarily this isn't necessarily a counterpoint but um you posting something and being like this is something that i've stamped my name on and it's not made for the criteria of like d- it will this be successful you're still playing to a click you're still showing that you can keep basic time mm-hmm. and you have good feel mm-hmm. uh you're still showing a lot of just inherently you're still yeah. showing a lot of the qualities in the first seconds of being able to do the gig Right. Even though even though you're doing it in your own way. Sure. Um, I think somebody who would hire you would know, like, okay, well, he's playing into Ableton or he's playing into Logic or Pro Tools. Like somehow he recorded right. this. Like this is not just his phone. Right. They can tell it's they can tell it's in time. Yeah. They can tell you're not overplaying. Yeah. Uh so I think still, even if you maybe it's not a contradiction, maybe it's just adding to your point that you don't necessarily have to play the game to meet the criteria sure. of what Instagram likes. Right. You can you can do your own thing and do what makes you satisfied, mm-hmm. what makes you happy, mm-hmm. and it can still meet that criteria because it's not about it's not about how many followers, it's about followers that genuinely are interested. Yeah, and I also look at it as kind of like a resume or portfolio of sorts because I I don't have a very large resume. Like I don't have this discography of things that I could say I played on all these albums or I played with all these artists. And so I feel like at this point in my career, all I really have to go off of is like what I can do. Yeah. And so if somehow my name gets thrown in the hat and then you know, as as sad as it is, I've heard guys say, like, the first thing that we do when we hear a new name is look at their Instagram. Yeah, which it's is like a business card. Kind of a bummer. <laughs> but if that's the case, and it's like, and, and again, I've had legitimate things where someone has hired me and paid me money to play drums because somehow my name came up, they went to my Instagram, they watched a couple of videos, and they went, cool, he can play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I'm pretty sure that's how Corey Wong started playing with Ben Rector. If I, if I remember correctly, uh, Steve Gould, it was just like, we need another guitarist. Right. Steve Gould was like, I know a guy. And on the spot, Ben just looked him up sure. on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he has plenty of content. Yeah. And they were like, cool, let's get yeah. in touch. And it happens. It happens so fast. Instead of instead of a, a week-long process of sure. emailing back and forth, it takes seconds. Yeah. It can happen in less than a minute where somebody decides that you're the person that they're going to hire. Right. With word of mouth and Instagram. Yeah. To be fair, Steve Gould's recommendation carries it's a, gl- a large amount of <laughs> yeah. weight. But yeah. Yeah. I, 
But if somebody's willing to check something out and they get a good impression, uh, another thing that I I struggle with too is how do I how do I in a video where I'm playing my instrument allow somebody to feel like they can get a read on me as a person mm. because I feel like that's that's a much bigger part of whether or not somebody wants me right at, just around mm-hmm. for the gig for rehearsal for the green room hang the hang is exactly that it's the hang and if somebody's hiring me I have this sort of mentality of like well they hired me because they know I can do the music so that's automatic. That's not like, mm-hmm. will he do the music or how will he do the music? It's what's on their mind during rehearsal is how is he as a person? Right. And so that's something that I've been struggling with on Instagram is how do I let people into who I am yeah. as a person? How to show your personality. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I mean, I think that's all, it's all tied together, right? Because that is something you don't get by just going and looking at someone's credits mm-hmm. you don't know anything about their personality at that point and they're just stats yeah and to bring it around again like there's there's no real money like there used to be in music and so a lot of the jerks are have kind of gotten they get weeded out yeah because no one wants to be around them and there's a million other players and yeah so if you're able to show your personality as like, yes, I can play the music, everyone can play the music, mm-hmm. but maybe my personality fits the gig or whatever. Yeah, I feel like nobody in 2019 is impressed if you can play the music, because if you can't, five other people can take your place. Five other people who are available right now can take your place. Mm-hmm. It's, are you going to be a dick? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. nobody, nobody's impressed, because... Uh, I don't know if you listen to Gary Vee at all. No. Um, he, he talks about, I heard him, I heard him talk about social media in the aspect of like a lot of people believe that social media has changed human beings and how we interact and stuff like that. hundred percent. And he argues, and I think there's a little of both. I think that, I think that there's definitely some where it's changed the way we communicate, but he argues that it hasn't changed it at all. Hmm. And that all it's done is to reveal everybody's behavior. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So his argument, and again, I don't think it's necessarily 100% that. I do think there's some of both. But well, I did just say 100% into the mic. So I guess my opinion is out there. <laughs> my, uh, my, my, my opinion is like sort of changing. It goes back and forth. I feel like depending on the day, I feel different about it. But his whole aspect is like the only reason that you like, I'm just thinking of when we get older mm-hmm. and we're in our seventies, whatever the internet looks like, I'm sure our grandkids and our great grandkids will have access if they want to. It will be implanted in their brain to look at our, no, but they'll be able to go back and look at our dumbass tweets. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> when we, when yeah. we, and see like the bottle cap challenge, right. You know, <laughs> like they'll be able to go back and see the stupid stuff we yeah. were doing and like the stupid stuff we said and like that we, cause I'm like, I, I think a lot about how much I respect my grandparents and just a lot of older people in general in my family and, and, and elsewhere, like 
it's like, I don't, I'm like, oh, well, they don't have a foul mouth and they're very well spoken and all that. And they just, I can't imagine them doing stupid, mm-hmm. reckless stuff. It's like, maybe that would be different if Twitter was around in the 40s. Yeah. You're, you know? s- you're making the point of it's nothing has changed. We just have a record of it now. Yeah. Now, yeah. now everything is transparent and it's available yeah. to everyone. Yeah. Like privacy isn't a thing anymore. Right. Uh, and, and it, that information is going to exist forever now. Yeah, and I've heard that argument made for everything. Like, anything that people say is this huge issue now in this generation, I've also heard people go, that's always been a thing. We just weren't as aware of it because we didn't have Facebook to tell us, and we didn't have a phone that we could record everything that happens outside our window and then put it on the internet for the world to see. Now, on the flip side of that, because we can put everything out there, more people see it, and now that more people are being exposed, they're being influenced by that. Yeah. So it's like something that maybe has been happening in New York City for decades. Now, like before, maybe you were only going to get exposed to that if you went to New York City and lived there for a couple of years, and now your life has changed because of that thing. Yeah. Whereas anyone that didn't go would never be influenced by that. Yeah. Now, someone that doesn't even go there can be influenced by that same thing. I know I'm being yeah. really vague. I don't yeah. have an example. But but, that, but that's really cool in the sense of, I mean, I feel like that's applicable information to everybody because we exist in an age now where you can choose what you're being influenced by. Because everything is so available, every business, almost every creator, almost every influencer is available via Instagram or Facebook or Twitter mm-hmm. or YouTube, you can choose what not to be influenced by and you can choose what you're going to be influenced by. That's a dangerous game though when you only choose to follow what you agree with. Yeah. Right? It can get dangerous if it if it wanders into like the political or like world influencer sect. But mm-hmm. uh, the the cool thing from an artistic perspective is you can if somebody if somebody's vibe just really just upsets you mm-hmm you can remove that negative you can remove that negativity from their life by either unfollowing them or blocking them if they're the ones coming after you like the really cool aspect like the optimistic side of the condition of 2019 and 2020 is that you can choose to just remove negativity mm-hmm. if you want mm-hmm. it's just that a lot of us don't mm-hmm. you know i i've definitely like i've even I've even chose to continue to follow somebody that I'm like, this person bothers me, but they're followed by people that I respect. And so I feel like I should follow them Interesting, because they're a big deal. And I struggle with that because part of it's like they, they might be genuinely like good at what they do. And I'm like, maybe I can just still pick up on this. But sometimes I'm just like, I get frustrated because them as a person bothers me. Right. Um, I think at the end of the day, what's probably more right for me to do is just decide this makes me unhappy, not necessarily like this person's bad, but like this person just makes me upset and just remove the negativity of of that relationship and, uh, and focus on, focus on ones that are, are going to push me in, in the right direction for me. Yeah. I, it's funny you bring that up because like it, my take on what you're saying is if me seeing something makes me have uh, thoughts or feelings that 
I know are not good, then I like to, to be articulate about it. If I am following someone who I met, like there's a person I have in mind where it's like, I met this guy Mm -hmm. for a, a small period of time. It was another drummer. So we follow each other on social media. And then over time it was like, everything he posted was just like super douchey or like, I don't think he's a good drummer and he's like super into like brands and endorsements and that whole thing that just like makes mm-hmm. me want to vomit. The commercialized yes. side of it. And I was just like realizing like, I have to unfollow this person because he's not a bad person and I know him and I've interacted with him and he's like a good dude. Yeah. But every time I see something from him, I have these things inside of me that I are bad. Like I'm, I feel like a terrible person because I'm judging you so hard. Exactly. And so it's like, yeah, I need to remove that because there's no reason Mm -hmm. for me to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's good self-awareness too, to be like, this person isn't necessarily a bad person or this person isn't necessarily a jerk. It's just that this just relation, this this interaction, this particular interaction or this particular relationship isn't helping me and it's not helping them. Right. So just, just having the wisdom to just break that off. Yeah. Join us next week for part two of this conversation with J.D. Linick. Until then, thanks for listening, boys and girls. Hugs and kisses. Okay, bye.